welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Steps resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience original worship songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. We have a reliable collection of historical documents. Not myths, not fairy tales, not legends. This is not the Gilgamesh epic here. These are things that actually transpired in history and were recorded for us. Did you know that everybody in the ancient world agreed that the tomb of Jesus was empty on that first Easter morning? Everybody had conceded it was empty. The question became, well, how did it get empty? You don't need to come up with an empty tomb story if he's still in there. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then what happened to the lives of the apostles? It cost them everything. They were cast out, persecuted, homeless, hunt down. The apostles died a martyr's death. That simply rules out the thought that they use their apostleship as a cover for a con game. Yes, a lot of people have died for life, but they always thought it was the truth. Now, if the resurrection was a lie, these 12 men had to know it. Either he rose from the dead or he didn't. That's it. These are the only two options here. For a God who can make the whole of the universe, the odd resurrection should be child's play. The message of Jesus, it's great news. It's great news. It's not just good advice. It's incredible news. Well, if there's anything that we've learned in recent years, it's that we have a constant stream of news coming our way, and there's always a new headline. Right? We, we've learned that there's always news being created somewhere, somewhere on planet Earth, and, and we're going to hear about it because of the Internet. And there's always this news coming at us, but the question is, can you trust the news? Can you trust it? There's a restaurant in London called The Shed at Dulwich. It was rated number one of 18,000 restaurants. Over 18,000 restaurants, it was rated number one. It was created by Uba Butler. And the problem with this restaurant, the only problem, was that it never existed. Never existed. He got a burner phone. He listed it on TripAdvisor. He got 100 of his friends to write very consistent, very detailed fake reviews. Very detailed. And then, and then he said it was reservation only. So he had no address. You had to call to book an appointment. It was very exclusive. And he started at the bottom of the list, under 18, sub 18,000. And over a period of six to seven months, Ubar Butler got this restaurant to be rated number one in one of the, the world's largest cities, the city of London. This 
shed at Dole, which doesn't actually exist. There is no place. He used his, his little uh, apartment, his little home to, to make a, a, a kind of a, a mock restaurant. And he, he made up some food dishes that didn't actually exist using things that you would never eat. Uh, you put these pictures online, and, and the real picture when you zoom out is just disgusting. You know, like, you know, he, he used shaving cream to make it look like whipped cream. I mean, all kinds of stuff that you would never eat. And, and everybody ate up these pictures online. They thought, oh, man, this is incredible. But then he, the, the news eventually broke, and he made a, a big deal of it that this, this restaurant never existed, and he proved his point, right? And, and I, I think it's a point that's, that's well taken because we do have this kind of mistrust. I mean, even in this last political round, and we're thankfully not going to get into politics today, but, but a big part of the conversation was, is there fake news or real news, and which side is, is, is accurate, and which side of the aisle, you know, is, is reporting the real news? And, and I think it struck a nerve because on both sides, people are like, who can I trust? And, you know, I, I think we already knew that, though, because when we walk through, you know, any grocery store, we're, we're going through to check out, and we see right there in front of us, we see the tabloids, right? And, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff, man, baby, born with full mustache, and you're like, really? Like, I've never seen anyone actually take one of these things and buy them. I don't know how they have lasted all these years, but, but we just kind of know in the back of our mind when we see some things, we think, well, I'm not sure I can actually believe this. I don't, I don't know that I can buy into this. I mean, it's news and seems to be newsworthy, but I just don't know if I can personally believe this news. You know, when you read something on the internet, you check the domain, right? You check the, the website address because you want to know if it's a reliable source or if it's just someone's opinion blog that they just kind of put something together. You just want to know if you can trust it. And, and every time that you and I hear news, and we're constantly hearing news, we process it through two different filters. We process it through the filter of our natural bias, what, what our experience has been, you know, what we believe is actually believable. And then on the other side of things, we, we also process through the filter of, of who it is that delivered the news to us. So the, the source of the news we factor in is that a reliable message. And so of all the news messages we're constantly getting, we're always filtering them. And the, and the, the danger is, the problem is, the enemy sometimes of truth is that our filters can be wrong. Our biases can be wrong. Our beliefs about the source of where we're getting information can be wrong. And, and I think it's interesting if you look at the story of Jesus' resurrection. He came back to life on the third day. Many people heard about it and would later interact with him and experience him. But, but I want to take you through a little bit of a journey today and just look at some of the different reactions that people had when they heard this news about Jesus. And, and it's very interesting and enlightening to me to see how all these different people responded in different ways. Luke chapter 24 in verse 9. Women went to see, these women went to see the, the tomb and the, the stone that had blocked the entrance was rolled away. And it says when they, when they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to the 11, these remaining close, committed followers of Jesus, these disciples, these students of his. They came back and told these things to them, that they'd seen an angel. The angel said, Jesus is resurrected. It was, verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the most committed, the core, like, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So when they first heard the news, they didn't believe it. They, they knew these women, so they trusted the reliable source, but the filter of what was believable for them, that their friend that they saw die was now resurrected, 
they did not buy into it. So at first, they didn't even, this, this is nonsense. Down in verse 12, you see one of them, though, Peter, he has a different reaction. It says, Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter was curious. The other is nonsense. Peter's like, well, maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm going to go check it out for myself. How many of you would say you're the kind of person, you, just, you need to see it for yourself. you got to go check it out. Come on, you know. You, you wanted to see it with your own eyes. He's like, I, I wonder. I, I'm going to go actually investigate this. He was, he was curious. There was a group of people that were not fans of Jesus. They were a part of putting him to death. These Jewish religious leaders that turned him over to the Roman government. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 11, they hear the news. They hear it from a different source. They hear it from their own people, from the Roman soldiers who had been guarding the tomb. Matthew 28, verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And if you read the rest of this, they go on and they tell them to, hey, tell everybody, spread the rumor that someone took the body and this story was circulated. And so they, they denied it and they started a cover-up. So that, that was their response to the same news. They had, a, they had a source, their own people, who said, hey, something happened, he's, he's gone. And so they made up a cover story. There's another person that responded, and this person responded in, in a very positive way. John, John chapter 20, verse 3, he hears this news, the same news that Peter heard, and he also ran to the tomb. It says, so Peter and this other disciple, meaning John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. I, I love that. This, most scholars believe that this book was written by John, and he's referencing when he says the other disciple. He's, most people believe he's referencing himself, and he's like, and the other disciple outran Peter. He's kind of like bragging. I'm, I'm sure Peter in heaven hates this, that he wrote it down, and that everyone reads this, is that he lost the race to the tomb. He bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. They went straight into the tomb. They saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now listen to this, verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, John, who, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. So his reaction to the evidence, to the news, even though he had not yet seen Jesus personally, he would, but he hadn't at this point, is he chose belief. So still another reaction. I, I just think it's funny that, you know, he says it again here that, you know, who, I got here first. And, you know, Peter, he was actually at the tomb first, but he didn't go in. He's given us all these, all these details, you know, in the race. And at first glance, you think, well, he's just kind of, he's just kind of bragging. You know, my, my kids, they do this all the time. They'll, they'll race each other somewhere. And, and then one of them wins, and I, I don't really, as a dad, know how to respond. There's four kids all racing, one wins. I mean, you kind of want to celebrate that they won, but then you feel bad about all the others. And are you teaching them to compete against each other? And you're like, great job. Does that mean all of you guys are losers? I, I, I don't know, you know, usually what to say. So my solution has been, for better or worse, I just joined the race. I always win. So then they're all losers. It's perfect. <laughs> they tell me this is a bad parenting plan, but I, I, I'm just going with it for now. But, you know, I, I don't think it's that he put these details in here that, you know, that who got to the tomb first, who actually went in first. I don't think it was a competitive thing. I think, you know, if you recall the significant events that happened in your life, the life-changing events, you can remember every single detail. 
There's probably not a person who, who can't tell you where they were on 9-11 and what they were doing. I mean, you just, you remember those details in a different way that you, re, you don't remember what you had for lunch, you know, like two days before that. But man, you remember everything you were doing that day. And so when he's describing all this, it's just another, to me, another thing that just leaps out. Like, yeah, he's, of course he would give us all the details of who got to the tomb and then who went in, who saw it, what we saw and how, where it was, where it was laying. Because this was a life-changing event. Their leader, their savior, who they saw dead these women came and said hey angels told us he resurrected from the grave he's actually alive and it's like that changes everything like that literally changes my life that changes my existence that changes the planet so you would remember everything about that moment but then there was one more person I want to point out that had a response to this news this great news that Jesus has resurrected in John chapter 20 verse 24 his name is Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the, the 12, one of the, the core followers, says he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Jesus comes, he, he, he spends some time with them, they, they meet him, they're blown away. It says he wasn't there with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now keep in mind, they have journeyed together for a few years. They've seen Jesus do miracles together. They've witnessed the impossible. I mean, they have been persecuted they've they, they've witnessed the people they've they've seen lives changed people healed they've done all this through thick and thin they've been together these guys are tight they're tight so in, in spite of all of that and in spite of how trusted the source of this news would be this is thomas's reaction he says unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side i will not believe i won't believe even though his closest friends, all of them, 10 of them gathered in the room, right? Judas now is out of the picture. There's 11 left. He's one of them. It says he was not there with them. We don't know why he wasn't there, but he missed out on this opportunity. And now it's harder for him to believe. And as a side point, this is why I think it's so important that we gather and worship together. Because the Bible tells us that whenever we gather together, Jesus is going to show up. Thomas missed out on the gathering for whatever reason he wasn't with the other believers. He missed out on it and made it harder for himself later. But when we get together, Jesus is going to show up. And every week it might not be this emotional, big, life-changing thing for you, but, but just the consistency of showing up and gathering with believers in a worship service. We break into groups and we gather in groups. But being with other believers in whatever form that takes over this planet, as, as you are gathering with the believers, as, as your brothers and sisters are gathering on the other side of the ocean, as we gather together every time Jesus shows up, Thomas missed it. He made it harder for himself, and the doubts came because he missed it, his opportunity to meet with Jesus. You know, be aware, one of your filters might be if you've missed it in the past, and maybe it's later in life now and you're kind of starting to get it. One of your filters for accepting the message and being all in with Jesus is that you kind of have to humble yourself and say, I missed it. And, and, and there's some of that of saying, I was wrong. And I think that's part of the process of surrendering our life to God is admitting, hey, I, I tried it my way and, and Jesus, your way is better. And that, that can be a barrier for a lot of us. And just being aware of that, it helps so much. But Thomas, he doubted. Do you have a friend like that where you, where you tell him something? They're like, show me, <laughs> prove it. He, he, like he's, he's, Thomas is that guy. He's like, hey. Thomas, this is what happened. No, no, I, I don't believe it. No, Thomas, I'm telling you, really? No, no. I'm, I mean, you have a friend like that? It's like, whatever you say, it doesn't matter. No, like, this is, this is who Thomas is. Maybe you can see yourself in some of these different characters in the, the curiosity of Peter, 
right? The doubting of Thomas, the, the, the sprinting to the tomb and choosing to believe in John, maybe the, the cover-up. I mean, there's a lot of different responses. But in the end, it's, it's our, our predetermined biases that cause us to filter any news we hear. And it's what we believe about the source. But all of these responses, although they're all completely different, I want to I bring up a really important point. We can doubt a truth, we can deny it, we can dismiss it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true if it's true. You know, Jesus did what he did, he was who he was, and our responses don't change him. And we might forget about Jesus, we might dismiss Jesus, we might not have time for Jesus, we might crowd him out of our lives, but he will never forget you. You know, we may have rebelled from Jesus, we may have run from him, we may have straight up rejected him, but Jesus has always been and will ever be running after you. You know, we can, we can doubt Jesus, but he always has believed in us. And it's amazing to think about, and here's, here's the lesson, no, no matter what I think about Jesus, he's always thinking about me. Really, I mean, write that down and think about it, no, no matter what you think about him. Like, he's always thinking about you. Your past won't stop him like, from fulfilling what he wants to do in your life and in the present. Your, your past failures won't stop him from accomplishing what he wants to in your future. See, Easter, this is what it's all about, is that despite what people thought about Jesus, despite what they did to him, despite how they doubted him, Jesus lived, he died, he resurrected, he's Savior, and he came for you to bring new life, even for Thomas, who doubted. And maybe you're Thomas. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're Thomas, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure I believe. And I'll just encourage you to hang on for a few minutes, because I think there's so much more in this message for us. You know, we all have different responses to news. It's true. We do. We all have different responses. I mean, right? I mean, just when you hear something, you respond in a number of different ways. But I'll tell you what's completely different is when you experience something personally. When you have a personal experience with something or someone, it's a whole different experience, and you'll, you'll debate it to the bitter end with somebody who doesn't believe it. You know, maybe, maybe you've had to have a conversation with a middle school student and, and try to explain to them, hey, we haven't always had smartphones. Like, like you couldn't always just, you know, press the button. I mean, there was a day where, I mean, you, you had a phone in, in the home, but it had a cord on it. I'm like, no, really? That's crazy. Why would you have a cord on a phone? I don't understand. I'm telling you, it's true. And you couldn't just press the buttons. You had to, like, put your finger on there and, like, like pull it around. That's how you did a number. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I know, but I mean, it's true. You had to pull your, pull your finger around. And, like, this rotary phone. That's how you did it. And you couldn't take it with you? No, you couldn't. Like, you had to stay there. You had about a 15-foot space that you could go. And that's if you had the extendo cord, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you had about an 8-foot gap, right? And, and it's like we, our music, we couldn't play our music through our phones. We had these little plastic squares called cassette tapes and you pop them in and you can't skip to the next song you got you got to fast forward and you got to wait you got to wait like a good like minute before it gets there and then you got you went too far you got to rewind it if you want to hear the beginning and you get halfway through the album you got to take it out and flip it over no that no I'm telling you that's how it used to be I'm being honest with you it's like well how do people learn back then you didn't say look up stuff on your phone no I'm, I'm just saying like what we did is we pulled out books really no Wikipedia? We had an encyclopedia, like 15 of them. 
It's like, these things are huge. And like, like you didn't have your own set because it's, it's, they're too big. You went to like the library and you had to pull it off the shelf and like look the thing up. And you got the wrong volume. You put it back and get the other one and find the page. And oh, okay. I mean, see, trying to explain something to someone who doesn't get it can be difficult when you've had the experience. Because you know, you're convinced, you believe. See, personal experience is what changes our lives. Personal experience is so much different than just hearing the news about something. When we have a personal experience, it changes us. So let, let me go back to these stories again and let me, let me point out something different that maybe you would have missed. Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, I want you to notice some, some different reactions. This time in verse 8 about the women, how they responded. Matthew 28, verse 8, says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. So once they hear the news, they're filled with joy. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. So these women that went to tell the disciples, they actually saw Jesus. They met him. They worshiped him. And it says that they were filled with joy. So they had a personal experience, and their experience led to joy. John Chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they, they saw Jesus and they too were overjoyed. Down in verse 27, Thomas actually got to meet Jesus. He, he came and, and says, he put his, Jesus said, put your finger here and see, see my hands and reach out your hand and put it into my side. And stop doubting and, and believe. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. The same one who said, I, I, I won't believe. He now is calling him Lord and God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Jesus says it's better that you have your personal experience with me because it changes you, but it's better for you to have that experience before I have to, like, show you, before you have to hit rock bottom in life, before you have to bottom out and realize that this life will never deliver what I can deliver. Better for you to believe now and trust and experience me before you have to run down all kinds of dead-end roads in life and find out there's no better way than my way. See, it's, it's better if, if you believe, Thomas. It's, I, I'm happy you believe, but it's better if you can experience me personally because that's where radical change happens. You know, these disciples were so convinced after meeting Jesus that this happened, that he died and resurrected, that they gave their lives for him. These same disciples who said nonsense later, after they met Jesus, after they had the personal experience, after you have your personal experience with Jesus, when you experience him deeply and daily, I'm just telling you, it changes things. It's, it goes from religion to relationship. Jesus didn't come to institute religion and help bad people do good things. He came to help people who were dead in their sin, who had no other hope, become alive. That's why this really, really matters. My kids did a, a research paper for school on the disciples and how they died. And it was really interesting, you know, to, to look back on the different ways that, that these disciples gave of their lives. Peter, 
under Emperor Nero in around 66 AD was crucified. But he had said to those who were crucifying him, he said, I'm not worthy of being crucified like my Savior, Jesus. And so they said, well, have it your way. And they crucified him upside down. And, and, and he chose that. He, he died for that. People don't, people don't do that. I mean, that's crazy. Um, Andrew, he was crucified in Greece after he, after he had taken the gospel to modern-day Turkey, to Asia Minor. They, they crucified him. Thomas, he, he took the gospel uh, to, to India, and, and four soldiers pierced him with, with spears. Philip, he converted, he converted the, the wife of a Roman consul. And, and this, this Roman leader was so offended by that that his wife had converted to following Christ that he had him arrested and cruelly executed. Matthew is believed to be stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, the, the secular historian Josephus, said about James and how he was killed. He said he was clubbed to death and he was stoned. So there's, there's so many documented cases of how these, these guys died and, and, and many more in that early church died. Literally, they were executed and died for their faith. But here, here's the point. You don't die for a lie. You don't. I mean, if you're trying to cover up something, fake something, that's, they twist your arm hard enough. You're like, okay, I give. I give. I'm, I'm out. All right, it's just a joke, man. I'm just playing. But you, you don't let someone club you to death and throw stones at you until, you until you've bled out if it's a lie. These guys who said nonsense personally experienced Jesus. That so changed them. They gave of their lives documented by secular, non-believing historians just telling us what happened. Like, you don't die for a lie. You die for the truth. They saw it. They experienced it. They knew he rose from the grave. And personal experience means everything. Later in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, there had been persecution in the early church. And, 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 and a couple of the, the disciples had been called in among leaders, and they were they were being told not to speak about Jesus. And it says, they go, they go, for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Like, like we've personally seen him. Like, we've experienced him. We can't. I mean, you can, you can kill us. You can lock us up. But we just can't help it because we know he was dead and now he's alive. And, like, that's, that's the greatest news on this planet. Like, that's amazing. Well, you just can't shut us up. It's true. It's true. It's the good news. Jesus, when you have a personal experience with him, it changes you. It changes you. When you get closer to Jesus, not just hearing news about him. A lot of us have heard news about Jesus our whole lives. We've heard people say things about faith. We've heard people say things about God, about church, about religion. This is not that. This is a personal experience. That's what changes us. And until you get closer to Jesus, you will never get closer to the life you really want. It was E. Stanley Jones who said, anything less than God will let us down. Anything less than God will let us down. There's something better if you allow Jesus to really change your life, to really lead your life. Not talking about just going to church, talking about Jesus being the church in you, living through you. See, if you want to change your life, you have to change your experience with Jesus. Here's the lesson, to experience a greater life, you need a greater experience with Jesus. You do. If you really want your life to change, you need a greater experience with Jesus. Past responses, they won't hinder what God wants to do in your present. Easter, it's about our response to Jesus. He came back for you. And if you want to get closer to the life you've always dreamed of, get closer to Jesus. But you have to decide. You have to go for it. 
And I'm just saying, God's got more for you. Whether you've believed in him all your life or whether you're not sure you believe, I'm just saying he has more for you if you would experience him more closely. What would happen if you really leaned in? What would Jesus do? There's endless news. There's all kinds of sources that tell us all sorts of things about faith and what we should believe about God. But the reality is that God is a purposeful God and he has, he has so much for you personally to experience in him. It was author C.S. Lewis who said, you know, a lot of people generically believe in God. They kind of think of him as this generic, as he calls it, like a life force, this, this force, this higher power, this divine God. And they, they believe that there's a God because it really alleviates a lot of the pressure that, that comes if you don't believe. Because if you believe that this whole world is just an accident, all you are is a bunch of atoms that just happen to be working together, and when this life is done, it's over. There's nothing to look forward to. I mean, that was it. There's really no purpose here. And, and we can try to make up things to make ourselves feel better and try to help others and make our existence as good as it can for this very limited amount of time, but there's really no purpose in it. There's no hope in it. It's very dark and depressing to think about there not being anything else other than just this random accident that happened from nothing, and now we have everything that we see. See, for me, it takes a lot more faith to believe that this is all an accident, and it would be very dark to think. It would be very hopeless to think that this is all an accident gone wrong and there's nothing else. So I think most people, in general, believe that there's something, and you have your committed, your, your believers, your followers of of Christ or people who have some kind of belief in, in a creator, a God. You have people that on the other end, atheists, they don't believe, no, there's nothing. But I would guess there's a lot of people, maybe the majority, a lot of people somewhere in the middle, like I believe there's someone, this force, this creator. C.S. Lewis says that the, the problem of having this blind force is that we can kind of take him and use him as we want, that we can kind of follow this this generic force up there that has no mind, no morals, he won't interfere us. He's kind of like a tame God, not the troublesome God that we learned about from childhood. And he writes, he says in Mere Christianity, he writes, you can switch it on when you want it, but it will not bother you. All the thrills of religion, none of the cost. Is this force not the greatest achievement of wishful thinking the world has yet seen? That there's just maybe this generic God up there and that, that, you know, he doesn't really have a mind or a purpose. He'll just let me do what I want. And I'll just kind of believe that there's something because it puts my mind to ease. And the reality is that, that God has left no room to be in the middle ground. He further writes, he says that, that Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. It's a waste of your time. If it's true, it's of infinite importance it is the most important news it's the greatest news that ever hit the planet but the one thing that that it cannot be is moderately important just kind of important just something that's okay I, I, I kind of believe that like there's no room God doesn't leave any rooms room for that it's either infinitely important or it's of no importance and Jesus asked you that question and you have to answer it he asked Peter that question in Mark chapter 8 verse 29 where he says Peter who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and who do you say that Jesus is? What does the name of Jesus mean to you? My kids have recently kind of got into sports card collecting, just kind of a little bit. I, I basically was trying to minimize some things in my garage, and I had a box of old sports cards from when I was a kid. 
and they're really not worth much. It's from the 1990s where they overprinted the cards, and they're really just, just about worthless. And, and I, I decided I'm going to kind of get rid of almost all of these, and, and I, I decided to have some fun and let the kids in on it. But the, the funny thing is their ages, especially my, my boys at 8 and 10, like they, they have no idea who these players are. They've never seen them play. So all the information they have about how good these players are comes from my head, which is scary. But, but I, I'm like, they, they, they come to me and they bring all these, these cards and they're like, Dad, is this guy good? I'm like, oh, he's okay. Dad, is this guy good? He was amazing. What about this guy? Terrible. This guy, I have no clue. Never heard of him. You know, it's like, like they're just going through. Like, they bring me a stack of cards. Dad, tell, tell us who's good. And so I'm kind of sorting them for them. Like, this is good. He's great. Throw these away, you know. And it's like, they, they, they have really no sense of value of who these players are. But, but I do. Because I, I was kind of in the era when these athletes were playing, and I remember them. I can, I can tell you the names of these athletes and, and who hit the home runs or who had the slam dunks. I, I could tell you who scored the touchdowns because I, I knew those names. And all of those names to me, when I see them, when they, when they flip through a pile of cards, I, I have a certain value that I attach to them. Like, oh, yeah, he, that one's valuable. That one's very valuable. I, I know that name. I associate that name with a value based on how good it was. And I, I, that, that might be worth something. That, that's a valuable one. That name's worth something. And then I know which names are not as valuable, and I can kind of very quickly sort through that for them. And, you know, it, it got me kind of thinking about how in life we do this all the time. In fact, most everything that you purchase, you purchase and pay what you pay for because of the name on it, because of the, the value of it or the perceived value of it. Is this, a, is this a good brand? Is this good quality? Is this going to taste good? Am I going to go eat there? Is that name? Are they going to serve up the good food? Is this, this is product that I bring home? Is it, is it going to satisfy my, my need? This, this item of clothing that I wear, is it from something that I, I believe? In? Like, is, is, this, is this purchase, this name behind it, valuable to me? And it's different for every person, and we sign these different values. But, you know, there, there was a name that surfaced 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin miraculously, a name that was really unknown for many years, but then he showed up and he started doing supernatural things, things that were beyond the natural. He started doing things like walking on water and healing people and, and doing just things that, that they're not, not, not done in the natural. And for all those who believe that there was something beyond the natural, that this world was not an accident, that there was a name that was above everything else, that there was a creator, they saw this person who claimed to be God and was doing God-like things. He was doing supernatural, supernatural things. And, 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 they, and they, they heard his teaching, and it got in their heart, and they experienced him, and they, they, they thought, this, this might be it. And, but then he died. And that name that they started to believe in, that they started to invest in and believe in and think it was worth something, he died. And their hope was lost. Well, maybe there wasn't as much value there as we thought. But then on the third day, Jesus arose, victory in hand. And that name, they then said, that name, that name is above every other name. That name did what? What no other name has done. He rose from the grave. That name, the name of Jesus is the name. It's above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, it tells us in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You know, we can assign values to name, but what's, what hit me in thinking this through more than anything else was that the, the name above all names, the name that's most valuable, listen, he gave up everything because your name was priceless to him. That, that, that you couldn't put value on your name. 
There was, there was no way to assign a value to you. you. You and I assign value to different names in this world, but, but he looked at you. Despite your sins, despite my sins, despite our failures, he looked at us. And he gave everything because your name had no value that was too much. There was no value that was too much. There was no price that was too high. He said, I want that one. They're, they're so valuable. I would give my life. And he did. For God so loved the world. I mean, this is, this is our hope. This is the God we follow. This is why this matters. That your name mattered so much to him. That your name was priceless. That the name that's above every other name gave everything for you because your name matters to him. He cares about you. Our response ultimately doesn't change who he is. Whether we respond to him or not on a daily basis, whether we, whether we live out on Monday, what, what we sing on Sunday, whether we choose to place our faith and follow him, our responses can be different. The, the Jewish leaders had a different response than Thomas, and so did the ladies from the disciples when they first heard it. Our response doesn't change who he is, but who he is can change who you are if you'll let him. Psalm 34, I love this verse. Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Come and get it. See that he is good, that his name is greater. There's so much more that you can experience despite your past, whatever you've been in, whatever's held you back, what kind of failures you've had, what kind of sin you've been in, what kind of addiction. You may have felt dead in your sin. You may have felt lost in it. Listen, you're saying this whole resurrection thing, I don't even know if it's possible. I mean, think about this. They say that the resurrection is child's play to someone who has the power to give us life. And if we believe there's a creator, certainly he can give us life. And so if you look at your life, the things that seem dead, the things that seem hopeless, the things that seem lost, he can restore, he can redeem any area of your life. And some of you, you, you might be mad because of something that God took from you. You felt like it was something he did to you back in the day. Maybe you felt that God has let you down and so you let go of God. There was hurt, pain, anger, frustration, and doubt. And I'm just saying the God who created the world can do a resurrection. And I think the lesson for us is that the resurrection happened for me. But the resurrection can also happen in me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, it happened. It's an event in history. But it's not just reserved for history. The resurrection can happen inside me in the present. The resurrection can happen in your future. Whatever you and I would give up on, whatever you and I would say is hopeless, God can fill with hope because he's the name that's above every other name. He's above creation. He's above nature. He's above time. He can do anything and he can do everything. And any area in your life you give up on, any part of you that you'd say, I don't know. I, I question it. I don't know if it can happen. I don't know if it's possible. This part of my character, this relationship, this doubt I have, I'm just saying the resurrection happened, but it can happen inside you. You know, we think that God has limits, but he has no limits in what he wants to do. He can forgive you of your past. He can make your future better than you imagined. This is not just good advice we're talking about. This is great news. This is great news. It's a prayer way. It's a simple prayer way. I, I don't know how better to describe, describe what God wants to give to us and wants us to experience every day other than thinking about a really bad dream. You've had them. I've had them, 
you woke up, maybe it was in the middle of the night or the next morning, and, and, and you're, you come to your, your senses, and this horrible dream that you'd had, maybe you were being chased by zombies or falling off a cliff, or you'd been banned from a lifetime of eating at Chipotle, and you're like, ah, this is the worst thing that could ever happen in my life, and, 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 and you wake up, and you realize that, that that was a bad dream. I'm so thankful that that, that crazy dreamlike reality is not my real reality. I, I feel, do you remember the last time you woke up from a bad dream and you realized that it was just a dream? It's like, you just breathe deeper. You're like, wow, thank you, God, that that is not real. I'm just so happy. And, and, and that's the feeling of grace. It's like, man, I can't believe it. Like, like, I was dead in my sin and now I've been made alive in Jesus. Like, he, he's got hope for me. He's got life for me. He's got something better. And, you know, kids, they, they get a fresh start in life. They don't, they don't you know, when you young and just start out you don't have this long past that you got to figure out and work through and baggage and things to run from or forget about and all that I mean young kids they get such a gift right I mean fresh start in life and I was kind of thinking about that and John chapter 1 verse 12 it says yet to all who did receive him Jesus to those who believed in his name the greatest name Jesus it says he gave the right to become children of God adopted into the, the family of a king it says, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, made new, inherited by a king. I mean, that's, that's you want to talk about hope. I mean, you got the inheritance of a king, and you got paradise to look forward to, and you got, you got a God who loves you, and that's, that's what we're talking about. That's what the resurrection means. It means making all things new, and it, and it does take faith. If it didn't take faith, if it didn't take faith, it would be a transaction, which is religion. It wouldn't be trust, which is a relationship. See, relationships are built on trust, and that requires faith. Religion is about transactions. And so why is following Jesus different than all the religions of the world? Even I would contend Christianity in, in, in some sense. It's not about prescribing to a religion. Like, our religion is Jesus. Like, that's who we follow. We don't, we don't follow even, even church attendance. For some people, can be a religion. Well, I go to church. That's how I believe that, you know, my life will be different. That's why I believe that I'm going to heaven one day. I think it's so important. I, I'm giving my life because I think that this is really important what we're doing. But I don't think this is what gets you in a relationship with God itself. It's that personal relationship. And through this, we, we connect to God. But it's, it's not about that. It's not about the different disciplines you might have, the things you might do. It's not about all the things that we do. It's what Jesus has done. That's the difference maker. So it, it, there is trust, and, and I heard someone say it like this, if someone, if you're sinking, if you're dead in your sin, if, if, you know, if, if someone throws you a life preserver, you don't question, like, where did this come from? There's things you might not understand about it. You just grab the thing because you're sinking. And, and I wonder if there's some of us that maybe just, although we don't have it all figured out, and maybe never will on this side of heaven, that we just need to grab a hold of Jesus so that personal experience can teach us more than, than all the answered questions may ever teach us. And I think it's good to go digging and, and ask your questions and learn and grow. But at some point, you have to grab a hold of Jesus and you have to live it out. Those of us who are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, at some point we have to go beyond just singing about it and we have to live it out. We have to take it into our daily existence and we have to make this a daily thing. We have to make this a weekly thing. We have to make this a lifelong thing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that we were dead in our sins. And, you know, this is the greatest news that's ever been given that we can be made alive again and you we're used to seeing scams all the time but you know if you get one in the mail and it says hey just just call this number and you'll win a million dollars there's part of you right that's like 
that's, that's a big gamble to throw it away if I'm wrong, you know, because if I'm wrong and it's a million dollars and, you know, how many of you have been suckered into at some point or another in your life responding to some kind of scam in some way and then you, you call and you find out, okay, this is not true, right? But there's part of you that's like, this, is, this, this seems like if it was true, it would be a big deal. There's never been a greater deal and there's never been one that, that can be backed by so much authority and integrity as this news that, that when we were dead in our sins, Jesus made us alive, not based on what we do, but based on what he has done. When I was in high school, we, we'd play basketball, you know, out in the parks and there'd be sometimes an odd number of guys and we couldn't get a game going, so we'd play 21. And 21 was all about shooting around and shot you know, goes in, you get a couple points, and you got to try to work your way up to 21, but if you missed it, and someone grabbed it in the air, and they tip it back in, you go back down to zero, so this game could literally last for hours, if you kept getting tipped, and I, I just kind of was thinking about that this week, I wonder how many of us are living our life of faith without realizing it, like it's a game of 21, that if I just do enough good things, then I'll earn favor with God, and I just hope I don't do anything that's really bad, because then I kind of lose all my points, all my chips, and and I'll just say to you today, man, God wants you to move today, shift from what you've made into a religion, into a life-giving relationship. And he wants you to come and worship, not because you, you've got to, but because you get to, right? Not because you, you don't read the Bible and pray because it's a guilt if I don't. It's like a freedom when I do it that I can experience the truth and the joy of Christ. Like, that's what we're talking about, a relationship, not a religion. And it's so life-giving. I just don't want you to miss that. I'll wrap it up with this Something that happened to me was just really impacting. I, I was traveling, and I'd flown all night, uh, red-eye flight from California. I was in the JFK airport in New York, and I was getting ready to fly back down to Florida that morning. And it was pre-7 a.m. The sun was rising. I was standing at the, at the end of the, the terminal, gate A6, JFK, looking out. Sun was rising, clouds, beautiful. And the gate agent at gate A6 was calling for the final passengers to get on board. It wasn't my flight. I was taking an, another flight but was waiting, and I just heard them announcing, hey, we still have some passengers, you need to get on board, and I saw a few people shuffling on board, and then, and then their voices seemed a little more urgent, where, and they called their names, they're waiting for these two people, and, and I'm, I'm kind of feeling bad for whoever it is, because they're like, we're going to shut the gate, we shut the gate 10 minutes before, we're going to shut the gate, you need to get here now, and so they were going to go ahead and shut the gate, and I was just kind of, like, they announced these names, I'm feeling bad, whoever's missing their flight, and I kind of looking around, like, where are these people, and I saw a guy just, just hustling, like, down the concourse. And from my vantage point and where I was, I was maybe 30 feet away from the gate agents. I see this guy run. He's like, hey, hey, hold on. You got another guy coming. And they're like, all right, we can hold on. And he gets there, and he comes. He's sweating. And he, he's got his bag. And he's like, well, thank you for holding it for me. And he gives him the ticket, and he gets on. And they're like, all right, last call. They shut the door. And everyone except one person got on. And I'm standing there, and I'm just kind of enjoying the sunrise, and I'm praying. And a few minutes later, some woman kind of quickly comes walking up to the gate. And the gate agent is interacting with her, and I can, can't hear everything they're saying, but I can tell that she's the woman. And she lets out this huge gasp, like twice, like she's so bummed that she missed her flight. And this, this, you could just tell the disappointment was immense. And I was close enough, I could overhear enough to know that she was headed to California, and it was going to be like 10 o'clock that night before she was going to be able to get there now. Just her whole day was running. She was just... <sighs> nothing you can do, nothing I can do. And literally, I'm standing there, and you could literally see the, the plane pull out plane flies away into the clouds. Not long after that, the sunrise rises up into the clouds and, and kind of fades away. And I felt like God was kind of 
you know, you ever feel like, man, God, it's like he's trying to teach me something in this and just kind of nudging you in your heart. And, and I felt like God was just kind of teaching me something. And it's just something that still impacted me. And, and as I watched the, the sunrise, this plane fly off, this woman who missed it, and I looked down right below me, and, and there was all the, the airport service vehicles and the luggage carts, and it just seemed really great. I hadn't noticed it before because I've been focused on the, on the sunrise. And I've been praying, and, and now I'm seeing like, all the, the, the luggage carriers, all the stuff, and it just seemed bleak and dark and gray, and this woman missed it, and I just thought, man, I feel like God was saying to me, like, like the real treasure is Jesus and, and, and paradise and, and what he has in eternity and what he wants to do in, in us now, but it's our responsibility to take that free ticket and get on the plane, and, and there'll be a day when it's too late, and there'll be some that miss it. And those of us who are here, it's our responsibility to share this greatest news with everybody we can because it is the greatest news. And there will be a day when it's too late. And I just thought, man, this woman, she missed it. And I, I don't want to miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. And God's got more for you. He's, he's got so much. And, it, and if you could just grab a hold of it and say, I want more of that personal experience. I, I believe in, in Jesus, but I want more of him today. I, I don't want to just sing about him, talk about him, read about him. I want to experience him personally. Right? And, and, and I wonder how many of us just have never grabbed a hold of him and received him in our hearts and our life. And maybe you're like Thomas, and deep down you want to believe. Be like, Jesus, I need to see it. And Jesus' words for you today, blessed are those who, who, who believe, who choose to believe. I hope you don't have to get to the end of yourself. I, don't have, I hope you don't have to wait like the thief on the cross next to Jesus. That you don't have to wait till the end of your life to see it. Because that, that criminal on the cross that died next to Jesus and received eternal life, he did get eternal life. Jesus promised him that because he chose to believe in the end. But he lost two great things. He lost two great things. His sin cost him his life, and he missed out on Christ in all of his life. So he got him in the end, and he got what matters, and that's great. And, and hopefully that happens for those who don't believe. It doesn't always happen that way. But, but in the end, he chose to believe, but he missed out on the great adventure of following Jesus his whole life. And his sins actually cost him his entire life. You and I have to make a decision. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they eventually chose to believe. You have a choice this Easter. Wherever you're at now in your faith, will you move in closer? Maybe you'll inch in. Maybe you'll need to run. Maybe you need to find a new purpose. But I'm just saying Jesus has more, and that name that's above every other name wants to be the name that's in your heart if you'll receive it. That's the gospel good news message of Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave so that you will know that when you die there's hope to be resurrected from death right on thanks for joining us at church experience online please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected learn more get your questions answered or support this movement financially you're now going to hear a church experience worship original song and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today 